Good morning, church. I'm so glad Jesus lifted us. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus that we can gather here this morning. And to our French Creole-speaking friends, bonjour et louis Jésus. All right, today's scripture will be reading Psalms 4, Psalms 4. And if you have the Pew Bible, uh, if you don't have your Bible, there's a, in front of you, we have our Pew Bible, and I'll be on page 448, 448, Psalms 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have grieved me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer, O men. How long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you, will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than, the, than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. We are in the midst of a series in the book of Psalms. The Psalms are written primarily as prayers to God. And not just personal prayers, but prayers that we are to utter and sing collectively. If you have your Bible, you notice that before verse 1 it says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. In other words, listen up, Pastor Andrew. This is for you. No, meaning this is to be sung in the community of faith by the people of God. Why? Because the Psalms, and if you've been to church at all, even if, if you haven't, you know that the Psalms have this unique ability to express so poignantly what's going on in our hearts as a people. We resonate with the Psalms, don't we? If you're struggling... Do you turn to the book of Chronicles? Right? No, you turn to the Psalms. You know that they offer encouragement, hope. They speak your language. For the next several weeks, we're looking at Psalms of hope and encouragement. Psalms of hope and encouragement. Psalms that may express pain, confusion, struggle, yes. And yet these Psalms are going to remind us where our hope really lies. We could all use some hope and encouragement today, couldn't we? All you got to do is watch the news, get the newspaper, scroll on social media, and we can relate to the people in verse 6 who say, who will show us some good? Right? Who will show us some good? Well, we want to show you today that God is the ultimate good, that he is our ultimate source of hope and encouragement. Today's message is entitled, Calm and Confidence in All Circumstances. Calm and Confidence in All Circumstances. Psalm 4 is what is considered an evening psalm. Historically, it would have been read or sung by Jews as they ended their day. Why? Because at verse 8, it talks about, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. Sleep. 
rest. Did you know that the sleep industry worldwide is a $500 billion industry? You say, well, how big is that? That's larger than over 150 countries' GDP. In other words, it's a big industry. You say, what's the sleep industry? I'm talking about beds, specialty pillows, sleep aids, CPAP machines. Why is sleep such big business? Because we struggle to get good sleep, right? Anyone here ever, I know this might sound like a crazy question, anyone here ever get a a bad night's sleep? Maybe just a few of us? I've been doing some research on beds recently, maybe thinking about getting a new bed, and wow, I had no idea that how many options there were now. Do I want a traditional spring mattress, or do I want a, a memory foam mattress? Do I want to go into a store and, and lay on the beds, or do I shop online, and then they ship me it in a box, rolled up, and I just unroll it, and there it is? Do I want a sleep number bed? Do you want a bed that moves up and down? I kind of do. But then I started looking at the prices. And it's like, basically, would you like to donate one kidney or two? One organ or two to pay for this? We spend a third of our lives in bed. And studies show around 60% of us don't get good sleep. That's significant. And of course, there's a lot of products that claim to help us get better sleep. And some do help us. But is anyone asking the question behind the question, why are we not getting good sleep? Why are we not lying down in peace? There are a number of reasons, and there are a number of legitimate reasons. Health issues, sleep conditions, Newborn babies, right? There are legitimate reasons why you may not be getting sleep today. But we also know that stress and worry are two of the biggest inhibitors to good sleep. In other words, you can have the perfect bed, the right temperature in the room, the right angle on your bed, that amazing pillow, and you could still lie awake worrying about the bills you got to pay and what's going to happen to your kids when they grow up or that work project that's looming or your aging parents and how you're going to take care of them and the endless list that is running through your mind. Today, I want you to see Because I believe that God desires for you to rest in peace. And to do that, we need to work work backwards and deal with what's going on while we're awake. Psalm 4 teaches us that we can find joy in God's immeasurable love and grace because only then can can, can we find the peace and security in the midst of all of life's circumstances. We don't know the circumstances that the exact circumstances which led to this particular psalm of David, but many commentators believe that the motivating circumstance for this psalm is some kind of famine in the land due to a drought or some other natural calamity. And there's evidences of that, right? They're, they're blaming the king and they're saying, talking about when the grain and wine abound. But there's a crisis in the nation of Israel and here's King David 
His nation is facing an economic crisis, an economic downturn. And of course, when the economy is bad, who do we blame? Right? The person in charge, the people in charge. That's David. It's so bad that it says prominent leaders have turned against David and even against God himself. This is what happens when the bottom drops out. You lose your job. Something happens to your health. You get a bad diagnosis. You find out what your child's been doing. Your friend rejects you. You have a bad church experience. And all of a sudden you're wondering, what is God up to in this? How long will this trial last? Or I've been following Jesus all this time and now look where it's gotten me. What do you do? What do you do when you enter into a crisis, a trial, a distress as David calls it? Lesson number one that we learn from this psalm. What we should do first is pray for God's help. Pray for God's help. Let me ask you, where do you turn when you are hurting? Where do you turn when you are hurting? It is instructive for us that when things are going bad, David first turns to God in prayer. Look at verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. This is a passionate, urgent plea and appeal to God for help. When, when you face trouble or distress, or injustice, something, so you feel wronged, or a trial enters your life, where do you turn? What's your knee-jerk reaction? Do you take it to the Lord in prayer? Do you seek God's help? I said this before, and I'll keep saying it again. Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. And David is modeling dependence on God. He knows that seeking God is not a waste of his time. It's not a throwaway. It's not a, oh, sure, I guess you might as well do that. No, he knows it's the best use of his time, even as king. Listen, your suffering is meant to drive you to run to God with greater desperation, greater humility, greater urgency, and he wants you to know that he cares. Think about when a young child is playing and they fall down and they get hurt. Maybe they scrape their knee or their arm. What is their instinct to do? What do they do? Run to their parents. Yes, cry, yes. They run to their parents, don't they? Usually mommy or daddy. Why? Because they know that their parent will provide the comfort and care that they need in that moment of pain. They don't run to their friends. They don't run to their video games. They don't run to their toys. No, they run to mom or dad because that's the way it should be. It's instinctive. They know where care comes from. They know who can support them in that time of pain, and it should be instinctive for us as well. The next time you feel discouraged, disappointed, confused, anxious, in that moment, turn to God in prayer. Cry out to Him. He's your heavenly Father, and He loves you. Notice the boldness of David. Answer me when I call. 
In other words, I don't, I don't just want to talk it out with you, God. I need real help. I know where my help comes from, and I'm going to you. You say, well, how can David pray with such boldness? He's, he's not commanding. He's not demanding. But he is, there is urgency. There is boldness. How can he pray with this boldness? Notice he says, oh, God of my righteousness. Some translations say, oh, God of righteousness, but he's, he's actually saying God of my righteousness. In other words, God's righteousness is expressed in how he relates to his people. God champions his people. Did you know that? He is our greatest champion, our greatest defender, our greatest def- uh, protector. And you have to be convinced of this truth, that if you are in Christ, that the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf has counted you righteous, forgiven, in a place of, of honor and not shame. You are his adopted child, and now you have access, as Hebrews tells us, to the throne of grace to seek help at any time, for whatever reason that you need. I mean, look, if I were to write to a local senator or house rep- representative, I don't even know that I would get an appointment with them. They might take a letter of me and write back, thank you for your, for your thoughts or whatever. But if I show up to their office and say, hey, I want to speak to you, they'll probably say, hey, take a number, buddy. Right? Let alone like trying to go to the White House and be like, I would like to see the president, please. Yeah, that would land me in jail. And yet you and I don't even have to make an appointment to meet with the king of kings, the king of all the earth. You don't, you'll never be turned away. Isn't that stunning? Or have you taken it for granted that you have immediate access to the one who can do the very best on your behalf? It's only when you believe that he is the God of your righteousness that you will boldly seek his help. Notice he also prays with anticipation. How? By by looking back at God's past faithfulness. He says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. That word distress, it's a, it's a powerful word. It means to be, to be pent up. It means to be in a tight place with pressure bearing down on you at all, on all sides. That's what it feels like when life is hard, doesn't it? In the midst of suffering or a trial, it's not like you can compartmentalize things and say, oh, well, that's just this other area of my life. Everything else is going. No, it bleeds. It all runs together. It feels like this distress. It's all pressing in. And what's David doing here? He's reminding himself that God has been faithful in the past. He says, you have, past tense, you have given me relief when I was in distress. He's remembering times in the past when life was hard. When the trials in life were bearing him down on him, were weighing him down. And he cried out to the Lord and he says, you delivered me. You helped me. You guided me through. You strengthened me. You, you gave me wisdom when I needed it. And you led me through. Look, God's past faithfulness should encourage your heart and embolden your prayers. Christian, do you remember a time when you were in a difficult spot? Where, where it seemed that there was no way through. But you cried out to God and God did what only God can do. You ever been there? He's done it before. He can do it again. Right? Right? 
Oh, do you think God ran out of grace the last time he helped you through it? Is that the problem? Do you think maybe his strength has ran out and he's like, oh, I don't, I don't have anymore. Is that what you think happened? Do you think maybe he's taking numbers and he ran out of answered requests for today and he's like, I'm sorry, close for today, come back tomorrow. He's not a bank. No. God answered before and he can answer again. And I don't know how and I don't know when, but here's what I do know. We still worship and serve a wonder-working God. Notice David prays also with humility. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. He appeals to God's grace. Your translations say, be merciful to me. There's no sense of entitlement here. He's not coming demanding. He's coming recognizing, I don't deserve anything, and yet look what you can give me, God. Look what you have promised to give me. I am just laying myself upon your grace. Undeserved favor. That's what I'm asking for. I don't deserve it, God, but you have invited me to ask for it. And so I'm asking, please, out of your grace, please help me. Pray for God's help. Number two, in the midst of distress, trials, suffering, remember God's promises. Verse 2, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? It's here that we see why David is in distress. He says, men have turned his honor to shame and they've been spreading lies about him. The men he's referring to is not just the ordinary word for men. It it, it has the idea that that, that, um, it's describing wealthy, prominent, powerful men. These are the influential members of society. And what they're doing seems to be working. Their lies have had an effect on David's standing among the people. They've turned his honor into shame. They've spread lies about him. Likely because they're in a time of economic hardship. And rather than seeking after God, they're dragging David's name through the mud. And notice this, it says, why do you seek after lies? That word for lies is another word for idols. To seek after lies means they were seeking after false gods. In the midst of this crisis, they're not just rejecting David, they're rejecting and turning away from God. They were seeking after any idol that would tell them what they wanted to hear or to give them what they wanted. And in the midst of lamenting their betrayal, he says, how long? How long is this going to happen? How long are you going to turn on me? People I trusted are turning on me. How long are you going to do that? And then he reminds himself, verse 3, but know this, that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. The word for godly is the word beloved. God has set apart his beloved for himself. God has willingly and lovingly chosen you to be his child. If you're a Christian, you have been adopted in his family. If you're a Christian, he has set his mark on you. It's the, it's the word chesed. It's, it means covenant love. He has set his covenant love on you, and he cannot fail. He cannot break his promise. He cannot turn back on you. If you're a Christian, you need to be rem- reminded that right now, God is for you and not against you. 
that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And if he has done all of that for you, how could he ever abandon you in your time of distress? For David, the reality of God's covenant love actually colors all the circumstances of life, not the other way around. You see, we tend to see our circumstances and allow them to color how we see God. When circumstances should never shape the way we view God, the character of God should shape how we view our circumstances. Look, when, if, you, if you need glasses, right, and you don't have your glasses on, you can see things, but they're blurry, right? You can see shapes. Maybe you can see, you know, make out some things, but it's blurry. It's not clear. The only way you can see clearly is to put on the glasses, and it helps you see what's right there. It helps you see what's really there. If you need glasses, it it behooves you. It's to your benefit to put on those glasses to see what you need to see clearly. Listen, Christian, you need to keep those glasses on. Don't take off the glasses of the Spirit and say, oh, let me try to figure it out on my own and, and see if I can make sense of it. It'll all seem blurry. You need to let the character of God shape your circumstances so that you're reminded, I don't know what's happening, but I do know that I see God is still good even when life is bad. I do know that God has been faithful even when I don't know how he's going to come through. And because of this, because his confidence is in the character of God, he can say without hesitation, the Lord hears when I call to him. Do you believe that? The Lord hears when you call to him. When things get tough, we got to remember God's promises and to let those promises shape our mindsets, our attitudes, and our perspective. Verses 4 and 5, David is addressing, specifically addressing those who are attacking him. He speaks directly to them. Be angry and do not sin. He's talking to them. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. He says, be angry and do not sin. Or be agitated or tremble and do not sin. Have you ever been so angry that you were trembling? That you were shaking? What's he saying? He's saying, you can be angry. You can allow that emo- th- those emotions. I- I'm, I don't suppress them. But don't allow your emotions to be an excuse not to obey the will of God. That's why he says, do not sin. David says, sometimes when you're angry, you need to get to a quiet place. You need to get into your bed and ponder in your heart what's really going on. And the truth is, we don't like to do that. We want to be distracted, don't we? We want to get in bed, and and I do it too. And you pull out your phone and you just want to veg, right? You want to scroll. You want to look at some article that you're never going to remember five minutes later. You want to look at social media and see who's mad at who. You want to watch a show, multiple shows. You want to watch a movie, right? Anything that can distract me. And David's saying, yo, that may be fine on some days, but some days you need to get quiet, get by yourself, remove all distractions, and examine your heart. In other words, you need to stop acting like you're in control, that you can figure out a way out of that distressing situation on your own and turn back to the Lord. Turn back to the Lord, repent, offer right sacrifices, trust, put your trust in Yahweh. 
Is there something in your life today that you need to ponder honestly and then turn away from? So you can turn back to the Lord. You say, I know you came in today and you, you look great. Everyone looks great. That's awesome. But listen, there's probably things going on that you're not sharing with others. Is there something that's hindering you from offering right sacrifices and trusting in the Lord? Maybe you need to, to tremble and be in awe before the Lord so you can realize faith and obedience to Him is not optional. It's your very calling. Remember God's promises so you can continue to follow Him, continue to trust in Him, continue to rest in Him in whatever distressing situation you're in. And then finally, lesson three, seek God's face and rest in God's grace. In verses 6 to 8, there's a clear shift in perspective. The process of crying out to God and remembering His past faithfulness and promises, it's actually changed him. I didn't say it's changed his circumstances. I said it changes him. Verse 6. There are many who will say, who will show us some good? And then he says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Many people are asking, who's going to show us some good? Maybe he's talking about his friends who are supportive, but they're skeptical of David. Like, we're still on your side, David, but you got to show us some good. Somebody's got to show us some good. Or maybe he's talking about his enemy saying, who else will show us something better than what David is doing? Either way, many are saying, who will show us some good? Which God will provide what we need today? Where can we turn to to find peace and security today? It doesn't matter who's offering it. We just want what we want and, it, and we'll take whoever's giving it, whoever's promising it. That's what these prominent men were doing. Turning to false gods, maybe. Maybe the God of rain. There's a, there's a famine in the land. We'll turn to the God of rain, not Yahweh. But, but I know the, the Canaanites have these gods and maybe we'll turn to him. Maybe we'll turn to the God of harvest. Whatever we think works. You see, this is the lore of pragmatism. In other words, will you just turn to what makes life better? Will you go online to Amazon or you go to a bookstore and you go to self-help and say, what will help make my life better today? What will, how can I be, how can I have better kids by Friday? How can I, how can I live my, nothing, I don't know, maybe it's a good book, I don't know. But how can I, how can I live my best life now, right? What's working right now? What are the new trends? What are others doing? What's the secret? This is a temptation for all of us. And so we run to things like money. Maybe this will do it. Maybe this is what, who will show us some good? Money will give me what I need. Or sex, or power, or control, or prestige, or your career, or, or wonderful kids, or a relationship. And you think that is the thing that will provide, provide a barrier, a protection against the droughts and famines of life, against the distresses of life. And yet you know deep down as well as I do, it'll never satisfy It'll never give you what you need. It's like a bowl with, with, with holes in it. You scoop water and it just drains out. You can't ever hold it in. You see, these people are more concerned with ending the drought and restoring economic stability than they are with trusting their covenant God. How can you know that your relationship with God has depth? 
How can you tell that it's a real growing relationship? It's when you find yourself in the midst of trouble or pain and you grieve that and you cry out to God like David and you're trying to remember his promises, but it's when you're going through a trial or difficulty and you're able to get to the point where you affirm that this God, this true God, this covenant-keeping God is still worth trusting and still worth obeying even if you don't understand. Isn't that what Job said? When everything was taken away from him, when his life was a mess, And his wife said, Job, just curse God and die. And Job said, no, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. David's answer is to turn to the Lord and to remind the people that God himself is the greatest blessing. He says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. God's face represents his presence. His, his divine presence, his favor. This goes back to the priestly blessing of that Aaron, God commanded Aaron and the priest, specifically in number six, he, they, God said, this is how you ought to bless the people of Israel. And he said, this is the blessing you, you pray over them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. David's just reciting that. He's, he's, he's recounting that. He's saying, listen, to have God's face shine upon us is, is, is God's goodness shining upon us. To have God's presence is the greatest good in life. Isn't that what Moses said when God said, all right, I'm going to send you, and you're going to take my people out of Egypt? Go. And Moses like, I'm not going to go. And God said, no, I'll send an angel with you. And, God, and Moses like, no, that's not enough. No, I'll send my friends to go in front. No, that's not enough. I will not go unless you go with me. I can't do it, God. And then David offers this incredible statement in verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In an agricultural society, harvest time was everything. That was a time of celebration. You've been, you've been, you've been tilling the soil and planting the seeds and trusting God for the rain, and then, and then comes harvest time. And the greater the harvest, the greater the celebration, because that means more grain to eat and sell and more wine to be able to drink and be able to share with others. And that's your livelihood. That's literally what you're living on. And yet David says, look, I've learned, I've come to learn, I've come to understand this this important, this precious truth about you, God. And that is, you've put more joy in my heart than if everything around me was going amazing. Look, he doesn't say grain and wine are not reasons to rejoice. They are. The Bible does not call us to discount or minimize physical blessings. If you have a measure of physical health in your body today, if you have a roof over your head, if you woke up and, and you had a choice of what to wear today, unlike many of these compassion children, if you woke up and you had plenty of food to eat, if you woke up and all you did was this and there was hot water, 
If you walked out of your house and you got into something to get here, the fact that we can meet in a place like this and have the freedom to do that, listen, those are reasons to rejoice. Grain and wine are legitimate reasons to rejoice. But don't base your joy on those things. Your joy cannot be rooted in grain and wine, in your circumstances, because those things could be gone tomorrow. Find joy in it. Pour a hot cup of coffee and say, thank you, Jesus, for coffee. If you drink coffee. But listen, you could lose your job tomorrow. You could lose your friends. You could lose your health. Those things are good, but they can't be your ultimate good. Do you see why? You need a joy on the inside that is independent of the circumstances on the outside. You need a joy that is deeper, a joy in your heart that David says, and only God can provide that kind of joy. He says later in Psalm 16, in God's presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So imagine this scenario with me. I'm going to bring it right down to earth. You're like, you know, apply this to my life. Here we go. What if gas prices went down to $2 a ga- gallon? Amen. What if, what if milk was 99 cents a gallon again? What if food prices were back to where they were a couple years ago? What if car, the price of, of used cars uh, what did not cost you half an arm? What if you could see people and travel without any thought to COVID anymore at all? What if your salary went up 50%? What if your retirement accounts doubled tomorrow? I mean, come on. Wouldn't you be happy? Wouldn't you be thrilled? I mean, I'd be jumping up and down. I'd be dancing. I'd be singing. Everything that an annoyingly extroverted guy like me would do. That's what I'd be doing. That would be good news. Joy would be a natural response. Now, what if none of those things happened? What if none of those things happen tomorrow? What if food and gas prices remain high? What if COVID lingers in some form? What if salaries don't go up significantly? What if retirement accounts actually go down with the market? How will you respond? Will you look back at God's faithfulness to you? Will you ponder all of God's spiritual blessings in your life? Will you consider the unimaginable reality that right now you are a beloved child of God, a daughter, a son of the King, that your past is forgiven, your present is secure, and your future is certain, that He will always take care of you, provide for you, and He will ultimately lead you all the way home? Will you consider these realities in your heart and conclude, wow, this is worth celebrating. This brings me greater joy than economic prosperity or for that matter, anything else 
could, elf, could offer. If you can get to that point, then will you be able to lay down at night, in verse 8, in peace and security. Only then will you find that your future doesn't have to be micromanaged by you because it's being managed by someone who's much wiser and more powerful than you. Only then will you be able to lay down and say, I have more than I could ever want because I have Jesus now and I have Jesus forever. You see, there was one blessing, one gift that the world could never give and that the world can actually never take away. It's a blessing that only comes from the Lord. And that is peace. Peace. You will not find peace in a relationship. You will not find peace in your job. You will not find peace in financial security and ask those who have plenty, they, they just always want more. You will not find peace in whatever you think that thing is that you've been striving for, that you've been longing for, physical healing, whatever it is. You, it's okay to want those things, but those things can't be your ultimate things or your ultimate joy. There is a peace that is not based on circumstances, a peace that is actually a person living in you. You see, David asks for the light of your face to shine upon us, O Lord, in verse 6. He had no idea that years later, God would answer that prayer by sending his son Jesus into the world. Colossians tells us that Jesus was the image of the invisible God, the, the physical image of God in the flesh, and he lived the perfect life, and he, he never sinned, and he performed miracles, and he went about preaching the message of the kingdom of God, and that he himself was the king. And he offered right sacrifices every time, and he trusted in the Lord at every situation, and yet people turned on Jesus just like they did David. They didn't just turn on their earthly king, David, we ultimately turned on our king, Jesus. And his honor was turned into shame. And he was crucified on a cross, not for his sin, not for anything he did wrong, but for what we did wrong. He died bearing all of our guilt and all of our shame. And on the cross, Jesus cried for the face of his father. And yet his father turned away. He would not shine his face on his son. Why? Because in that moment, justice was being served. Jesus was literally becoming our sin sacrifice. He was bearing all the guilt, all the weight, all the shame, everything we've ever done wrong. He was becoming all of those things. And the father does not shine his face on that because Jesus has to bear it alone. And then three days later, he does what no one else thought was possible. He walks out of the tomb alive. He's risen from the dead. And now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, that God has shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, we can have the face of God because it was turned away from Jesus on the cross. We can have the face of God shining into our hearts, unwavering, unstoppable. Why? The presence of God shining in us, that is our identity now. Christ in you, Christian, the hope of glory. 
He himself is our peace. And the more you seek his face, Paul tells us, the more you seek the face of Christ, the more you are actually changed, transformed from one degree of glory to another. If you're not a Christian, can I just ask, what would prevent you today from turning to Jesus and finding a joy that overcomes all circumstances and experiencing a peace that surpasses all understanding? Turn from sin today. Turn from whatever you've been looking to, to to find whatever is good and turn to Jesus and trust in Him as your Savior. Look, did God answer David's prayer? This is a prayer, right? Did God answer it? It depends what you mean. Did God take away his shame in this moment? Did the people stop slandering his name? Was there an economic turnaround that led to greater prosperity? Is that why David is able to say in verse 8, Now I can go to sleep in both peace and security. No. None of that's changed. Then what has changed? What's changed? Here's what's changed. David's perspective. David's heart. He remembers and he rests in the reality that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. He finds satisfaction in the truth that the presence of the Lord, the face of the Lord, brings greater joy than anything this world could offer. And he is confident that in the Lord's time and in the Lord's way, he will answer David's prayer. And so what does he do? He lies down and he sleeps in safety. David came to a powerful conclusion. That is, we can be satisfied with the presence of Christ regardless of how much we experience the blessings of Christ. You see, the blessing of the presence of Christ is the greatest gift of all. And that is why I I can say to you today that you can have a calm and a confidence in the midst of any circumstances because in Him alone you can dwell in safety. What does David say in Psalm 23? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we are crying out to you just like David. We have distress going on in our lives. Individually, we're dealing with stuff. There are relationships that are, that are struggling, maybe even on the brink. There are struggles at work that are keeping us up at night, struggles with school. Some of us have, have people in class who are not treating us well, who are turning away from us. Some of us in here walked in feeling utterly alone. Lord, distress is real. The trials are real. And we're not here to minimize or cover them up. We're here to expose them, cry out to you on behalf of them, to cry out to you for help in the midst of all our distresses.
But God, we pray, I pray for my church family that you would become all to us. That we would find greater joy in our hearts because of you than if everything else around us was at its best. Lord, we know that this is a gift. We cannot manufacture it. We cannot will ourselves to go to sleep in safety and security. Only you can give us rest. Lord, would you give us rest? We, we want to take your invitation today, Jesus. We want to run to you and you said, all, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Lord, would we respond in faith today and find that you are able, more than able to answer and supply what we need to keep on keeping on. We love you, Jesus. We know that you've made it very clear on the cross. You've taken care of our greatest need. Now, Lord, would you take care of whatever other need is weighing on our hearts. And I do pray for those who don't know you personally. Maybe, maybe people read the Bible this morning. Maybe they're watching and they, they call themselves a Christian because they, they, they think Jesus is a good person. But God, they've never turned and trusted in Christ as Savior and King to follow you as Lord. God, I pray that today they would, they would pray in their heart and trust in Jesus and give their life to you and follow you and experience a peace unlike any other, a joy unlike any other, a future that is certain, a hope for today. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.